We believe that the potential for people to do something amazing has everything to do with being in the right role, on the right team, at the right time. On the Greenhouse What's Your Why podcast, we're celebrating recruiters, individuals who are dedicated every day to helping others unlock that potential. Join me, Ariana Moon, Director of Talent Acquisition at Greenhouse, as I sit down with talent professionals to discover their motivation, inspiration, and journey through today's world of work. Today, I'm talking to Parja Dana Dalkad. Parja is the Senior Manager of Global Talent Operations and Programs at Coursera. Prior to Coursera, Parajat was a talent and people operations manager at Snapdocs, and before that, was a talent acquisition manager at Asana. Parajat and I will discuss how getting clear on your boundaries can make you a more effective employee and manager. We'll also explore the hiring practices that have made Parajat and her team successful. Please welcome Parajat Dana Dalkad. Hi, Parajat. How are you? I'm doing well. Really excited to be uh, talking with you. So excited. So excited. Can you tell me where you're located and perhaps what you most look forward to after a workday these days? So I am located in the Bay Area, California, specifically San Jose. And what I look forward to after work, it's a list of things and it depends on the day really, but it'll be reading. I have picked up writing. So sometimes I like to write. And honestly, sometimes it's just laying on my couch with my dog watching TV and hanging out with my husband. But really, it's probably going to be the couch with the dog. He's he's super cuddly. So (laughs) that sounds like a fabulous after work activity. Let's let's dive into learning a little bit about you and your role. So I know you're at Coursera right now. Yeah. It looks like you just hit your first anniversary there. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. I joined Coursera a little over a year ago. As you mentioned, I hit my one-year anniversary. It's been a super exciting journey. Coursera over the last couple of years has seen immense growth in our market share and where we're doing outreach. Coursera is all about creating access to learning opportunities on our platform. So it's creating educational access to anyone, anywhere which is pretty amazing. And so the last couple of years, Mm -hmm. we've actually seen significant growth. But what that means is that a lot of our ops stuff needs to catch up to that high speed growth. And so in the last year, my role has kind of been to help us catch up and to also kind of get us set up for growth over the next few years as well. Kind of the game of ops of catching up to growth and then also trying to predict what growth will look like So you can have your programs, processes, and tools set up for that as well. The thing that I liked that you said was talent ops eventually being predictive of the business. And once you you get to the state where you're caught up, you can really be that enabler. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's like a, a puzzle piece where you're trying to figure out what you need to build out to kind of get your team enabled for now. But it can't be concrete or cemented workflows because your company, your business is hopefully going to continue to grow. And so it's figuring mm-hmm. out what the workflows need to be for now and, and setting them up to be ready to see growth in the future. An example is we, in this last year, implemented Greenhouse, which is very exciting. But it was making sure that we set up Greenhouse to meet our needs now. And in the future, you know, our plan is to do an integration with an HRIS. So it's making sure that tool is set up for that 
you know, how we manage our recs, how we manage our offers, what's all the data that we need that will be pertinent for that integration, and then also eventually setting up some of the workflows in the tool for when we hire even more. So a lot of that is, is finding that balance of what do we need now? What does the offer process, for example, need to look like now to meet our needs? But what can we do to iterate to get us to that place for when we have that growth? So we're not constantly playing catch up because sometimes that's, that's what you fall under because you can't help but be reactive. The dream in ops is to be able to be proactive and kind of see what's coming around the corner to, to set them up for success and enablement. Yeah, I think that will speak to a lot of recruiting teams that are going through building. What does the future look like? And can you proactively build for that? So I really like that. Yeah. I do want to backpedal a little bit because I know you've been in operations for some time. Yeah. And I would love to hear your career journey. Like, how did you end up where you are today? Where did it all begin? (laughs) Yeah. So (laughs) that's a, I love this question because I feel like I don't have a typical path into ops, or maybe it is, and I just didn't realize it. But I actually, at the age of nine, decided I want to be a lawyer. A lot of people in my family were lawyers. So in college, I took the LSATs. And then I didn't apply to law school, and I felt really lost because I wasn't sure if that's what I wanted. And so I actually, after graduating college, kind of went on this like soul-seeking journey and uh, returned Mm -hmm. back to India, which is where my family and I are originally from. That's where I was born. And I got the opportunity to, you know, work in a, a nonprofit in India. I taught math and English in the slums. And it was kind of the eye-opening experience for me of realizing how much I, take, I took my education for granted or the access I had to education. A lot of those girls wanted to learn how to read and write and were extremely smart, but just didn't have access. And it made me realize how much I wanted to go into that space and do a lot of direct service work. And so when I came back from India, I did do that. I worked for a youth employment program in San Francisco. We figured out how to scale and all of that. But there was something missing. Direct service work is really great, but I wanted to figure out how to kind of scale that. How do you make that sustainable? And so I went to grad school and I didn't go down like social impact, but I went down picking up and learning skills that would help me to become, you know, the person that I wanted to be. And so I went down the for-profit route and kind of fell into like a true ops role and realized how much I really liked it because it it's like solving a puzzle. It's like you have a problem and you have to figure out the solution, but sometimes the solution isn't the immediate thing you can do. Sometimes you have to iterate towards that. Kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier that you can have an immediate solution, but you have to think about three years out. You kind of have to think of all the different steps of what it would take, all the ways to iterate. And that was really exciting to me. And so I kind of fell into talent ops. I got the opportunity to work in an ops role at a VC firm on a talent team. And then I went into like a true rec ops role later on. And I've grown to really love it because I love the ops piece. But I think what's kind of amazing about being in like the talent ops or what kind of drives me is building out programs and processes and tools that can really elevate somebody or give them the access to that opportunity of a job, right? We can build out interview processes, but how do we kind of shift the paradigm so we can assess candidates in a different way that allows them that opportunity? And I think that's what 
I really enjoy in the talent ops space and how I kind of fell into the ops world because I really liked that process piece. But then there's this other piece of enabling the team, working with the business to figure out how we can, you know, make our process more inclusive and create that access, which is what really drove me when I was in India, is how do I create that access and how do I create sustainability? And so that's why I enjoy the the rack up space. And in the long run, I want to be able to go back to girls' education. That's something that's like a personal passion calling of mine. But the op space is just really exciting and challenging in that way where you are having to predict what could happen to be proactive. But now there's this piece of flipping the way we do interview processes and assessing candidates to create more opportunity in this industry. What a powerful story and a deeply personal one, kind of going back to where you were born, where your parents were from, contributing to the communities really directly through that sort of education that you provided. And I really like how it ties to what you do today. I think one of the common misconceptions about recruiting operations can be that it might not feel superhuman, but I think the thing that I really like about your story is you never kind of lost that focus on having an impact in a very human way. And the way that you were able to scale that best was actually to focus on recruiting operations. So if you create a process that you know allows your interviews to be more inclusive and you roll that across all the recruiters on the team, you've just scaled something that hopefully can impact candidates in a positive way. So I think that's a really powerful way to look at the work that you do. Yeah. I mean, it's what you say that like with ops, like sometimes it can feel like it's just about implementing a tool or building on a, a program. But there is this like big body of work that so many teams and companies are trying to do, what we all will hear as like DEI work. But really it's like when you build an inclusive process, I believe that you can really scale that. And I think that's it's what gets me up in the morning. It's what makes me want mm. to do this work. And it's what makes me like outside of work have like dreams or thoughts about this because I don't want it to be about what I what tools I build, but it's it's pretty amazing when you hear about like a process that can can scale, right? When I have a conversation with a hiring manager about building out an inclusive process. And I can kind of push them on how we assess or how we build out our interview questions to kind of like take a moment to pause and see where our bias comes in. Why as simple as submitting scorecards or making sure that we have questions that are built out that we ask every candidate is super important, which by the way, it really is because it allows us to properly assess candidate in a consistent way. And then, you know, if you are a data nerd, it means that you have the data to see if these questions are effective or not and where you can iterate. And when speaking to that hiring manager in that way of saying there's consistency, there's data, then you can like really iterate and make change because you have the data insights to back up the theory or the changes you want to implement is super powerful. And so that body of work of you know, making your process inclusive and tying it to scale. It's its a true symbiotic relationship that they have. And it, it's what I really enjoy because that's what I've always wanted to figure out is how do you scale impact 
And this is one way of doing that. And it also creates access. So I can't help but get excited by it and geek out and, you know, want to do that work. And then also work with my team to kind of see that, right? It's not just the broader talent team, but I have a team of like ops and coordinators. And it's, that's also really exciting. Like as a part of the work that I get to do is I get to manage a team and mentor. And I didn't know if I'd ever like that, but it's also really amazing to sit there and push them and get them to think and get them to do that piece about like stepping back and seeing the bigger picture because we can be reactive and figure out what needs to happen now. But sometimes we have to take a step back and ask ourselves like, what does this need to look like yeah. in the future? Yeah. I like that you brought in the management piece to it too. I think in hearing about how you approach scaling, problem solving, even yeah. managing, I'm hearing this natural ability to think about things, break them down into steps, approach mm-hmm. it in an intentional, data-driven, logical way to achieve a certain goal. Who taught you how to approach your work in that way? Because I, <laughs> I think when you're, you've been in operations for some time, mm-hmm. it's quite obvious to you when you start with a problem statement, you kind of might work backwards from that or whatever framework that you use. Mm-hmm. But if you're someone who wants to move into ops and you haven't had that opportunity yet, it can be a really ambiguous, scary thing. So yeah. how did you learn how to do what you're doing today? So I'll say it's a, a couple of things, but the one thing that I always will say that has helped me develop the skills of like being able to take a step back, see the bigger picture, build out like key steps, it's because of therapy. You know, I have been in therapy for a while now, and it's something that I wish was accessible to all, you know, and uh, something that I think is a privilege that I, I get to have and have access to. But it it allowed me to recognize, you know, the boundaries because when you are doing ops work sometimes or any work, you put yourself in there and sometimes you have to take a step back and and remove yourself from the workflow, from the process, your emotions. And so it really taught me how to like have the boundaries, the structures for like my own change and growth. And that kind of applies to work as well of like, okay, this is where I'm at. This is where I want to get to being kind to myself and recognizing that there are steps that will have to occur. There may be setbacks. There can be contingency plans. And sometimes you pause. Sometimes you reflect. And that reflection piece is super important. And so I would say that is that is one part. And then there's a lot of like work experience that's taught me how to build this out. You know, at Coursera, we use the OKR system, which is objectives and key results. And I'm going to try to tie this back to like therapy as well, but you have a key objective of what you want to achieve. You know, that could be personal growth. And in work, we have like clear objectives. And then you have key results of like what that looks like, what delivering that objective, what does it look like? But to get to those key results, you can't just say like, oh, I want to achieve like a 90% NPS score for candidate surveys, as an example. But there are lots of projects and bodies of work that have to happen in order to achieve that key result. And so it's setting up those projects, setting up those milestones to achieve that. I bring it back to like a personal goal of mine was to run a half marathon. My objective was to be active. Key result was, you know, to run a half marathon. (laughs) I love that. It's not like easy to do, you know, you can't just like get up and run. And I mean, maybe some people can, but that's not me. But I had to put these milestones of what I could achieve to, to get to that half marathon state. And then, you know, my key result was to run a full half marathon. My results was that I completed it. I didn't run the full thing. Um, I had to walk parts of it. 
And I reflected on that. And, you know, because this is a personal growth for me, I was like, well, my key result probably should have been completing the half marathon. And that would be amazing, which it was. But to tie it back to the OKR system, you know, you have to constantly iterate and reflect on these things. And so learning more clearly about the structure of like OKRs is what I think has helped me to think about how we scale and how we achieve things. Because you, you need to have a clear objective of what it is that you want to achieve. What, what does that success look like? And what are all the steps of getting there? Because that will then help me know what the path is, what are the things that I need to do. But then also as a manager, it helps me to guide my team and also kind of tie it to their career pathing and their goals, right? I can't just drive change. I have to delegate and bring along a team as well of not just my direct reports, but the talent team. And so being able to give those milestones, that guidance, the why, the context is what helps drive change for my team as well. Yeah. Thanks for the vulnerability about the therapy piece and sharing about your personal uh, accomplishments around that running goal. (laughs) Time for a quick break. To make better hiring and talent decisions, you need to track quality of hire or the value that a new employee adds to the long-term success of a company. Crosscheck's Talent Intelligence Cloud provides solutions across the new hire lifecycle to help enhance sourcing, screening, and onboarding new hires. By using Crosscheck's free quality of hire scorecard, you can begin compiling data about the overall quality of your hiring choices. Crosscheck is powering a revolution in data-driven hiring and people analytics to help companies better recruit and retain talent. The company's AI-driven cloud-based SaaS solutions were built with a talent-first approach, prioritizing trust and transparency, minimizing bias, and protecting privacy. Leading innovative companies like Snowflake, HubSpot, Glassdoor, Upwork, and Dish Networks trust Crosscheck to help build diverse, winning teams. To get the quality of higher scorecard, visit the link in the show notes. Welcome back. Here's more of my conversation with Parjat Dhanatalkad from Coursera. Often when you set a big goal, maybe end of year goal, a big three-year mm-hmm. goal, or even something like running a half marathon, it's both inspiring and intimidating, right? Yeah, especially if sure. you haven't done the work of breaking it down into steps yet. And I can imagine, especially now that you're managing a team, the work of breaking it down, like that's really important because oh, we yeah. want to all be rowing towards a goal, but the day-to-day work that we're all doing in, in service of that might look very different. But how does it all hang together as part of a strategy that rolls up into that goal? And I, I do think that breaking down those big ambitious things that you want to achieve over time is so critical. That's, that's really the first mm-hmm. step. Because a lot of the times when you look at, oh, what other people are doing or what other teams are doing, you only see kind of the end result. What you don't see is the day-to-day challenges, the blockers, the iteration, the, (laughs) you know, scrapping an idea, starting something up again. And that is really most of the work that you do to eventually get to a goal. So I really liked your stories there. I also really liked the emphasis that I'm hearing throughout this conversation around access. You mentioned access a few times. 
when it comes to education in India. Um, you mentioned, you know, your own personal access to be able to do things like therapy, where it really sounds like it helped you develop tools that you bring to work. And I just wanted to call that out as something that it's important for us to be aware about. Like, what what are the things that we do or we don't have access to, and how can we do work that helps open up opportunities to to folks in equitable ways? I think that's that's a good call out. You know, like of access. As I like reflect back on my path and the choices I've made, that's always kind of been the thread is, is how do I create opportunity access not only for myself, for others. And it can feel kind of, you know, scary. The op space I feel like is relatively new, right? I think like maybe like 10 years ago, people weren't thinking of like ops teams. Some companies were but it was more of like administrative ops, right? But now it's like this whole bigger subfunction, mm-hmm. and I think it's because people are recognizing that like this piece is important for allowing a company to scale, build, and grow. But I think what's been challenging is that there's not a lot of people in the ops space, and so one part of access is like creating community, creating resources, being able to reach out to people, and I think the reason why I feel super lucky is that I've I've been able to be introduced to a lot of amazing people in the op space and even people that are willing to like share, listen, give advice. And I think that's what I want to be able to do for for others. And so when I when I manage, when I share resources, it's in that mindset of like this is a relatively new space. And I just want to be able to create that access because ops is the back-end work that nobody sees, kind of mm-hmm. like what you're saying, of being able to iterate, of being able to grow. Because when you are kind of like scaling your org and you build out these objectives and these key results, it's exactly what you said, right? The means to the end sometimes can be greater, can be complicated, and can feel like kind of scary because sometimes you don't know if what you're predicting is right or not. And when I work with my team to build out the OKRs, it's allowing for like that clarity and that reflection and to be able to ask those questions of like, how do we do this? Can I do this? I don't know if I can do this. And when we build out like our OKRs to bring it back to, you know, the, the OKR stuff and, and the access piece is allowing for my team who is kind of growing in this field is to be able to take on smaller projects to allow them the room to fail, to iterate, to grow in this OKR world. So when we build out these projects, these long-term milestones, I would say that the important thing there is to allow for like some buffer, to allow for some some growth, to allow for reflection when you are trying to go to that next level. And I think that requires a lot of vulnerability because oftentimes, you know, we're we're told like, okay, there must be a success, there must be an achievement. I don't know. Sometimes I think failure is the achievement, right? Like you, you build out a process, you implement a tool, and you're like, this didn't work out. And you have to reflect on it and you have to make iterations. Like that's, that's a learning opportunity. And so I hope that that is what I can instill in my team. That's what I hope I can drive for myself and being able to create that access and being able to learn from it and even being able to, to grow from that and to kind of like get to that next level. Yeah. I'm fighting the urge as a female to say, does that make sense? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it does indeed. 
There was something that you said around the questions that you can get from a team when you do break down a goal into steps around, how do we do this? But also, do I know if I can do it? So there, there's this element of not just operationally understanding these are the things that must be done. It is also about empowering a team. You can do it. You can own yeah. it. Yeah. And a lot of the times when you're growing, when you're scaling, and people's jobs are changing very fast, that can be a very uncomfortable thing. Like if your job looks different in a quarter because the company or the environment around you is changing so much. And I really liked that you brought up that question because I think the success of ops is not only figuring out what to do, but also how to empower the particular people on your team to to do the thing, to have that space to fail, as you were saying. Yeah. I heard something really interesting recently about how Teams that are more afraid to fail often fail more. And so if you have like that creative freedom, if you have that, what you said, like that buffer space to be creative, to know that, you know, something doesn't work out, you're not going to be terminated (laughs) or you're not going to be reprimanded. In fact, like you can be celebrated for taking a creative approach or taking risk in a certain area where something didn't work out. That's great. We can still take learnings from that and apply that moving forward. So I really like that you brought up the creating space to feel, because I think that's a really important thing for fast-growing teams and all teams in general. Yeah, for sure. There is fear in failing. And I think the teams that are, are scared to fail, they fail more. I think it's because we want to be perfect. Like there's this- Perfect. Yeah, like perfection. You want to have the perfect data, the perfect predictions. And predictions are estimations and sometimes they're best guesses. And they're not going to be perfect. It's something that I know. I tell my team. And sometimes it's something that I struggle with all the time. You know, my boss right now at Coursera, Jenny, she's amazing, will constantly, you know, remind me to like be realistic, to reflect challenges, roadblocks, mistakes, and allow for that room to fail as well. And so it helps to have a leader that does that. Mm -hmm. And so I also want to reflect that, you know, for my team, you know, we we're doing this big project around candidate experience. That's our objective. The objective is like to create a like, you know, world-class candidate experience. Our key result is to really increase our candidate NPS. And as I mentioned, right, you don't just like send out a survey and expect change. You have to make change happen. And so there's little projects that my team is is doing and owning. And I think what's really great about that is that one, it creates buy-in from the team when they can own projects and bodies of work that tie to like a larger objective. Two, it allows them to ask questions, to push back, to, to give their point of view and perspective. And three, it, it, it allows for scale, right? Because you are delegating this body of work to a group of, of team members. And so they have the buy-in, they are the subject matter experts, and you know, you're, you're scaling your, your business as well. So this candidate experience, you know, increasing the NPS, there's like a few projects that I have my team working on, which is updating email templates. It is getting us to a place where we can have candidate greets at the beginning of each onsite. And then it is creating resource hubs. We're starting with like for our interviewers, for our hiring managers. And then eventually we want to build out a resource hub for our candidates to increase candidate experience because candidate experience is not just about how the candidate feels, which is super important. It's also about how you've set up your interviewers for success or your hiring managers for success as well, because that impacts the candidate's experience. And so we are working on that. And I have like certain members on my team managing smaller projects like updating emails, 
creating resources for interviewers, working with recruiters on how we can do a lot of proactive work to get our interviewers aligned on expectations and things like that. And you start to see the team feel more invested, especially like a coordination team. They're not just scheduling. They are the subject matter experts on candidate experience, right? They're the ones scheduling. They're the ones interacting with the candidates, seeing all the back and forth that happens. And it's so important that we hear their voices and roll that into the changes that we want to have. And so that's the other part that's so exciting about the work that I get to do is it's hard work, but it's kind of cool when you get to see your team help to scale and build and push back on on me as well to say like, oh, Parijat, I don't think that would work. I think we need to do this. And I'm like, yeah, you're probably right. We we probably should. You know, they're they're the ones that are in it. And it's my job to listen and enable them and empower them to make those changes happen and reach your key result. Yeah. The word that was coming to mind as you were talking was having a goal, a team-wide goal is very unifying. Like, like the team gets invested. They're all doing different things, but working towards the same thing. One of the things that was most impactful for me earlier in my career, it was actually when I just started at Greenhouse and I really didn't know much about recruiting best practice. And every time I encountered a blocker, I would go to my then manager and ask her, hey, what should I do? And her first question was always, well, what do you think? What do you think? It's the best question to ask. (laughs) And it was so disorienting. I was coming from a very different environment and I was like, wait, shouldn't you be the one telling me what to do? But it was very empowering. And that's the role of a manager. It's really to listen and trust your subject matter experts. Mm -hmm. Totally. Such great stuff. What would you want the folks listening to this podcast to take away from our conversation today? Mm. I'm just going to go back to that theme of access, right? You know, we have this opportunity to help create access to opportunities. And so I hope that we can continue to build on that and push back on some of the norms of how we assess candidates, but instead kind of shift the paradigm with how, how we're doing that, right? Like moving away from like schools, titles, but instead really looking how we assess skills, looking at how they're transferable, looking at how you know, what really allows someone to be successful in that role and assessing for that and being able to give that access to folks to make the change that they want or to get to the next level or to give them that opportunity to take the reins and and define their success. So I hope that we, in the recruiting world and the recruiting space, continue to create opportunities of access. I feel like we came full circle with that theme of access, which is a really important thing, again, to your point, for us as talent acquisition professionals to think about and very actively build into how we operate. So thank you so much. That was a great conversation. (laughs) Thanks. I really enjoyed myself. Thank you so much, Parajat. And thank you to all of our listeners. Please take time to rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts. Find out how to hire for what's next by visiting us at greenhouse.io. Special thanks to our production partner, Wonder Media Network. Our producers are Brittany Martinez and Alana Herlins, and our production assistant is Sarah Schleed. Our greenhouse producer is Marnie Williams. Until next time.